Welcome friends to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today we've got a great story involving none other than the IRS. But first a story from Hippo Singularity. You want me to drive a 34 ton mixer over a sand dune? Sign here please. Concrete mixers are unwieldy, top heavy, and spend a lot of time driving off road with a shifting load. Consequently, we tend to try to pay a lot of attention to what we're driving on and where the customer wants us to go. What the customer wants and what we're physically able to do don't always meet. The job site I'm working on is down near the Salton Sea. For those unfamiliar with Southern California history and geography, the Salton Sea is what happens when a man from Flint, Michigan hires a Canadian shipwright to dig a 60-mile irrigation canal and then digs a couple illegal bypass channels right before one of the worst floods in the recorded history of the Colorado River. It has no outlet and it currently is a fetid lake of salt, stink, and tilapia. The customer, who we'll call Polly, is building three greenhouses on the sandy ground. The job mainly consists of chute pouring post holes for the steel supports. It's slow work that isn't helped by being next to the bog of eternal stench in one of the hottest and most humid parts of the state. The lot is clearly blow sand, the really fine stuff that gets carried by the wind. It's been graded smooth but not compacted at all. Basically, the lot is a sand dune with pretensions of civilization, and even the balloon tires on the tractors are digging in. I'm not taking my pig of a truck anywhere near that sand. At least not unless I wind up in a really foul mood. Luckily, the subcontractor is not stupid. He looks at the situation and decides to have me pour into the skip loader from the road. He knows we can't move my truck across that sand, so he's been having the loader ferry the concrete from my truck to the holes. It means that his crew has to shovel the concrete out by hand, and after the first couple loads, they're going to look like the chain gang from Cool Hand Luke, without the benefit of Joy Harmon, but since the owner didn't want to spring for a pump, it's the best option available. Polly doesn't show up until a couple days into the job. When I pull up with my load, he tells me what we've been doing is taking too long. He's got a different plan, a better plan. He wants me to back out over the dirt to pour the holes directly, because clearly the thought never occurred to us. When I try to explain that the ground is too soft, he points at the tire tracks through the sand and says, The last truck made it just fine. This is a lie. Not only that, it's an obvious lie. The last truck made it is one of the more common lies people tell drivers, right up there with, We can refill your tank with the water truck. They're practically memes, similar to the jokes about inspectors being the enemy, just without the humor or benign intent. It's the difference between Al Bundy and Ted Bundy. I know I'm being lied to, and what's worse, I'm being lied to incompetently. For starters, the tire tracks Polly's pointing at were clearly made by the loader, not a truck. Also, I was the last truck. The way the job's been going, they've had one truck come out, pour the load, then go back for the next one, while the crew sets and aligns the posts in the holes. Polly doesn't know this because he got there while I was off getting the next load. In fact, since this is his first time out here since we started, he has no clue that I'm the only driver that's been on this job since it started. This is one of those areas that doesn't bother with foppish fripperies like street signs or addresses. On top of that, this job is on a flag lot, so it has a very narrow street facing. I was on the job the first day, and since after that I knew where it was, and he knew I wouldn't say no, my manager Bob asked me to do it on subsequent days so he wouldn't have to deal with lost drivers. 
So Polly is a bad liar, and I'm now in a really foul mood. With my most obsequious smile, I say, Oh, well in that case, of course. I just need you to sign the ticket before I can pull onto the property. On my way back to the cab, I call Bob to see what else we have going that day. There isn't much other work, so Bob asks what's going on. I explain the situation, and Bob just asks one question. Did he sign the ticket? When I say yes, he tells me to be careful and call him if we need a wrecker. If you ever order concrete yourself, and the driver refuses to pour without you signing the ticket first, think long and hard about what you just asked him to do. The ticket includes a damage waiver and acknowledges receipt of the concrete. Some drivers may have you sign it as a matter of course, though I've never met one, and most of the guys I know don't even get signatures after the job. For the most part, however, it should be viewed as a giant red flag that the driver thinks there's some kind of liability in play. It could be something as simple as backing up a curb, which could crack, or front yard with ever so crushable irrigation pipes and septic tanks. It could also mean that you've really torqued off the driver and he's about to nail you on standby time. You have a limited amount of time to unload before the accounting trolls start charging you a buck or two every minute. Your best bet is to ask them if there's something to be concerned about. Technically, you could refuse to sign, but by that point, it's a Hobson's choice. And if there's nothing wrong with the load, you're paying for it either way. If we were busy, I would have slowly backed up until my truck started to bog down and then pulled forward and refused to go any further. We aren't busy. When I bog down, I just pull forward and try again. Each time I get a little further back, but it's very slow going. Polly is getting upset. After a half dozen attempts, Polly starts waving me back furiously and shouts, Step on it! Just get on top of it! Apparently Polly thinks I'm on a boat. But in the world of malicious compliance, the customer's always right. I pull forward as far as I can, floor it in reverse, and right before I hit the sand, I flip the selector up and stick it into high range. A manual truck transmission is laid out into a standard H pattern, but each position covers two or three gears. There's selector switches to choose which set of gears you're using. For instance, on an 8-speed, the low range is 1 to 4, high range is 5 to 8. While high range reverse is a usable gear, you'll almost never see a driver using it. Even the manufacturers recommend against attempting it. It's a fiddly gear that's easy to break if you hit it with too much power. And you rarely need to go anywhere that fast in reverse. My truck leaps onto that sand like a corpulent gazelle, huffing and wheezing across the veldt. It doesn't last long. I've barely made it a truck length before I have to go back down to low range. Not long after that, my wheel starts slinging dirt, the tires sink in, and the truck starts bouncing from the effort. That's the signal to stop and check my work. Polly is, of course, not happy with this. My truck is nowhere near close enough. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He looks at me and to my complete and utter lack of surprise asks... What happened? 
I tell him that I appear to be stuck. He asks if I can pull forward and try again. I look at my tires. The truck is buried to the axles, and it weighs as much as 13 pickup trucks or 40 smart cars. Nothing short of divine intervention is moving that truck while it's still full. So I smile and say, I'll give it a shot. On the side of my stick is a little knob for something called deep reduction. You set that knob and put it into low, and that engine turns into the god of torque. For you gearheads out there, the ratio is somewhere around 27 to 1. It's practically impossible to stall the engine in that gear without running into an immovable object. Even then, you're just as likely to snap your axle or tear out the drivetrain while the engine hums merrily along. And of course, if you're on soft, loose sand, it'll just kick a gloriously wicked rooster tail all over anything, or anyone, behind you. Holly is still spitting dirt when I get out to give him the bad news. Looks like we're going to have to keep using the loader like we were. Then once we finished with that, he can use it to help pull my truck out of the dirt. In the end, we had the loader pulling on my tow hook and an excavator pushing on the Mansfield bar. Not only did it waste half an hour of the precious time he was trying to save, but he had to pay around $50 worth of standby. Of course, it could have been worse. If I'd truly been stuck, he would have been on the hook for the wrecker. Honestly, I'm the kind of person that, like, I'm just imagining if I get stuck there, like, yeah, I'm getting paid for it, but it's just so annoying to the point where, like, even though it could be satisfying, it wouldn't even be satisfying to me because I don't want to have to deal with that inevitable mess that it's going to be. But if you were an OP situation, would you be just happy getting this truck stuck, knowing they would be on the hook for it and that it would be perfectly in compliance with what they were asking? Let me know in the comments down below. And by the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Our next story is from Fox McCloud, Nathan versus the IRS. First, you have to appreciate the kind of guy Nathan is, brilliant engineer slash crazy person, because Nathan likes rules and Nathan doesn't give up when he knows how things should work. I like to get him to tell the story whenever we're together because he doesn't even see why it's funny. It's just how he deals with all problems. Nathan was like if he saw Sisyphus and he thought, maybe I should try to stop him. But then one day the boulder was on top of the hill and you go and ask Sisyphus how he did it and he replied, it was simple. I just kept pushing it forever and ever and eventually the mountain gave up. A real grade 19 bureaucrat. He just works systems through problems no matter how daunting they should seem. Until one day, when Nathan's unstoppable force met an immovable object. I came into work and saw checks and envelopes spread all over his desk, and Nathan filling them out with the kind of grin Steve Buscemi might have, crossing names off a list with a tube of lipstick. I ask him about it, and he calmly starts explaining that he's having trouble with the IRS. I probe a little deeper, since that in no way explains more than one check or envelope, and he starts telling me about how last year, during tax season, he was in China for work. So he started filling his taxes out early while at his parents' house. He owed a little, but he left before he could mail it in. But he remembered while in China, and broke through the firewall in order to pay it online. But then his parents, thinking he forgot, wrote a check for him and mailed his taxes in too. So now his taxes would be paid twice. So they said, don't worry about it, we'll cancel the check. Well, it turns out that NYS IRS has canceled a check fee of something like $40, and they sent Nathan a bill and a penalty for the $40. 
that was it. That was the whole story. A $40 fee. Nathan, why do you have 20 checks on your desk? He says, oh, well, after I explained to them what was wrong with the fee, they didn't get it. So Nathan spent the next four weeks escalating the issue to the point that he got a case officer, a real live human agent on the phone with a case number. Nathan started by asking for the agent to spell his name and politely to demonstrate that he was where he said he was by asking how the weather was and how the drive-in had been that day. He then asked for his agent's manager, got their name, and exchanged some pleasantries. He explained that his parents wrote the check, but that he was the one being charged the fee. The agent explained that this was the policy of the IRS. All canceled checks will result in a $40 fee. The agent and Nathan went in rigorously compliant circles for hours exploring the rules. Nathan then calmly confirmed that 1. It is the policy of the IRS to allow just anyone to write a check on behalf of anyone else. Yes sir, that is fine, you just need to indicate the name and zip code of the account. 2. It's the policy of the IRS to charge a $40 cancellation fee to the person whose account is indicated on the check. They say yes sir, that's the policy in NYS. This means that, and I swear to god he actually asked the agent this hypothetical on the phone, I, Nathan, could write a $10 check and indicate it's for you. Mr. Agent at 1234567 Schenectady, New York, and cancel it resulting in a $40 fee for you with absolutely no penalty or recourse to me? The equally compliant and rule-minded agent replied, Yes sir, I guess you could. So that's what Nathan did. And that's what he was doing with 20 checks on his desk. And what he meant by IRS trouble. He was following through sending checks to the IRS addressed to pay the taxes of the agent and the agent's manager, so Nathan could cancel them, causing the agent and his manager to owe the IRS a fee for each cancelled check. He was exploiting the same flaw in the system in which he was caught to essentially extort the IRS agents. I laughed about this for weeks after. And then, three or so weeks later, I'll be darned if he didn't receive a letter from the IRS. Sir, we understand the point you've made. Please consider your fee waived, and I hope we can put this behind us. It sure is easy to be money-grubbing and charge the common man a $40 fee until they realize how stupid their policy is. Honestly, this compliance is just amazing. And our final story of the day is from Phenomenal Lurker. Just watch? Okay. Yesterday was my late cousin's birthday, and with it, I remembered one of his malicious compliance stories. Years ago, as I was preparing supper, I had to rush out but had cornmeal on the charcoal stove cooking. I couldn't leave it unattended, so I asked my cousin to watch it. I came back to a house full of smoke and him watching. I screamed at him why he didn't stir and or reduce the heat, but he pretended to be confused, saying, You told me to watch. I watched. And the idiot laughed. Dear God, I miss him. I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's also really, really frustrating. You know how disappointing it would be to have something cooking on the stove, step out for a bit, and come back and find out it's charcoal and smoky? Not to mention the fact that your house is going to reek of that disgusting burnt smoky food smell for like the rest of the day, if not like a whole nother 24 hours. I'm not saying I did it myself, but I am saying it takes a really long time for that smell to just go away. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. 
Now, if you want to hear another malicious compliance story that was way crazier than any of the ones in this video, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.